Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your usual host, Joe Corsione, but today uh, I will be relinquishing my host duties to two other fantastic uh, co-workers and friends on this podcast today because I've been getting DMs saying, hey, you should have someone interview you or you should have an episode on you. And I couldn't think of two better people to uh, be the host of the show to have an interview with me and th- these two guys on here today. So uh, I will be the guest of the show today. I don't know what I'll be asked. This will be a this will be an interesting thing, but I'm hoping to share a little bit about you know my my journey and a little bit more about me because I've had a ton of guests on the show, haven't gone too much into my background, and uh, this is a good way to do it. So uh, today we are joined by Chris Ronzio and Jonathan Ronzio. Uh, Chris is the CEO and founder of Trainual, and Jonathan is the CMO at Trainual. And uh, Trainual is a company I work for. I'm, I actually uh, work for them in nine to five job at, uh, as the partner manager, and uh, I work with these guys very frequently. So it's super cool to have them jump on, but I'll pass the mic over to them. Uh, Jonathan, I'll pass it over to you first and kind of give a, give a little intro into uh, who, who you are and kind of how we, uh, we, we got to link up together. Absolutely. Excited to be here and to, to tell your story. I feel like um, hosts of podcasts often don't get to share their story, right? Because you never want to be the person that's standing up with a megaphone shouting about yourself. You're there to be that that messenger, the voice for your audience to carry the lessons from the guests that you bring to the table, right? Um, so I love that you're doing this. I love that your audience even prompted this and we're excited to be the ones that get to unpack these lessons and these stories from you because I think it it does give a, a much deeper insight as to why you're doing this, why you're bringing yourself to Everyday Ultra for everybody else. Um, and we'll get there, but yeah, my, my background, uh, Joe, you first came into my world when you discovered the Stoke cast, right? Which was my podcast. Uh, still have, uh, have it. It's a kind of, kind of on a current hiatus at the moment, but the Stoke cast, uh, years ago, we, we got through a hundred episodes all about work, life, adventure balance. Um, and, and so you, uh, reached out and invited me on your podcast that you had started called the art of fulfillment. And so I came on as a guest and we had an awesome conversation about all things adventure and trail running and mountaineering and startups and, and everything that, uh, that I found fulfilling in my life and kind of how I was doing a million things at once. And then we stayed in touch. And uh, a couple of years later, there was a role opening at Trainual. We got you on board. Uh, one of the best moves we've made yet. Uh, super psyched that you're on the team. Thank you. So yeah, this is fun. It's been a lot of... A lot of wires have crossed along the way to get to this point, and it's it's uh it's all been good. Oh man, well I can I can echo it right back and say it's one of the best decisions I've ever made as well, man. To to even reach out to you and to to work here at Trainual, it's been it's been a blessing and so cool uh, to see that you have your own podcast out there. Anyone listening, if you love this podcast, you'll love the Stocast. Has a lot of crazy adventure stories and good guests on there, so check that out. But uh, Jonathan, thank you for hopping on, and and Chris. Uh, his brother. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your introduction and uh, a little bit into your your endurance world too. 
Yeah, what's up, Joe? Awesome to be here. So isn't it cool how podcasts just bring people together and how you guys met on a podcast and you meet all the guests that you bring on? And I feel the same way about the shows that I do. I just love getting on here and having a conversation. So thank you for letting us do this. Um, so I found out about you through Jonathan when he was like, yeah, I was on this, this kid's podcast and he's awesome. And I want him to work here. <laughs> and like, that was, that was kind of the back channel that I got. So, uh, yeah, for everyone listening, myth buster, Joe does have a job. He does, he does work with us. He's amazing at it. And when other people talk about how they, uh, you know, they don't have time for anything outside of work, I just point to Joe and I'm like, well, do whatever he's doing. So we're, we're going to unpack the work-life balance stuff, the time management in this episode. Um, my, I guess, quick story, my, the most endurance thing I've ever done is running businesses, which I think is a whole different kind of endurance. Started when I was a little kid, uh, ran a, a video company for 12 years out of high school, sold it, started another company. Uh, that's what Trainual evolved out of. So this is the third company I've been running. Um, and on the athletic side, I was always like on team sports. I did basketball and baseball and that stuff growing up. Whereas Jonathan was like the adventure, you know, extreme X games, kind of like, you know, surf and snowboard and ski and, and, and do all that kind of stuff. So while Jonathan was like mountaineering and ice picking his way to the top of like some, you know, mountain in South America, I'd be like at the at the beach or something. And he would FaceTime me and I'd be like, oh, I hope you're enjoying your life because I'm enjoying mine. So my my growing up was very, uh, you know, not not about extreme sports. As I've gotten older, though, maybe it's contagious just being around you guys. But the last few years I've started to do. Uh, you know, half marathons and Spartan races. And I uh, did the half Ironman uh, with both of you last December, which was amazing. And now I'm training for my first marathon in April, the Boston Marathon. So we've got some some cool races coming up on my own. So I'm just excited to learn from you and to, you know, look behind the curtain of what makes Joe this tremendously motivated athlete that, you know, went from kind of zero to 60. So we're going to unpack your story here in this episode. Uh, for all your listeners, they'll get to hear some behind the scenes stuff. We can talk a little bit about your, your nine to five if you want to, and maybe how some of that applies. But most of this is around the five to nine, I would say, like the <laughs> the uh, the outside of the work hours. So so let's dig in. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, thank you all for the for the kind words here from both of you guys. It's super, super awesome to have both of you guys in my life and and to to work with you and to 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 do not just work things with you, but do Ironmans with you and uh crush our personal goals together and everything. And Chris, I know you mentioned you're like my my endurance background is different. Like, I mean, I always say, like, you know, 50 milers, hundred milers, those things are hard, but like building a business, like that's hard. Like honestly, the races those aren't hard comparing to building when you're building a trainual. So it's like, I, it's a whole different type of endurance game. And I think there's, there's so much to learn from you as well. And anyone here listening who wants to dive into that kind of stuff to check out Chris's content, his podcast, uh, organized chaos, great show, a uh, lot of cool guests on there. So if you're into that side, which I know we have a lot of people, you know, in that, that entrepreneurial kind of space here too. Uh, take a listen to that. Um, and before we dive into my stuff too, I also, Jonathan, want to just hear just really quickly some of the endurance accomplishments you've done as well. I mean, as Chris alluded to, you have some yeah. extreme accomplishments out there. Uh, would be cool just to share a little bit about that from your background. Sure. Yeah. Um, so 
like Chris said, I mean, he grew up as like the, the all-star athlete, the point guard, he was doing all sorts of sports, baseball, basketball. I did a little bit of that, but kind of around middle school and into high school. Yeah. I totally pivoted into just like skateboarding and snowboarding and camping and rock climbing and took that to the extreme when I got out of college and, and moved out to Aspen and I was mountaineering all through the Valley there. Um, and then bought a one-way ticket to South America and went and climbed Aconcagua and, then basically that started like six years of just nonstop adventuring and just tackling some of the world's highest peaks and uh, like really crazy Arctic expeditions and, um, and, and just not any specific mountain sport, but all things mountain, mountain sports. And then it was actually like 2016 that I started to fall in love with endurance sports per se, in terms of like trail running and, and obstacle racing and those things. Um, because for me, it, it, like I, I tested one of them it was, I did a Spartan race and I was like, wow, I like, I can crush the obstacles because of my like background in climbing, but I'm just not fast. I like, I'm getting crushed on the runs between the obstacles. So like, maybe if I actually focused on some running, I could be a better all around athlete. And then I just got addicted and, and went from Spartan races to, uh, you know, triathlons and half marathons to a marathon. I, I did Boston marathon that Chris is training for. I did that last year. I've done uh, 50 K but, um, you know, so I, I've dabbled in all things, adventure, endurance, extreme sports. Um, but it was a long progression, you know, like that's, that's been 12 years, 10, 11 years, something like that of kind of going from just being a casual snowboarder to setting my sights on some of the world's biggest mountains to some like crazy, uh, ultra races. What I want to hear from you is, and that impresses me the most is right. You went from like zero to 11 months later doing like an ultra try. Right. And, and so I'll set big goals. Sure. I'll look out three months a year and be like, yeah, I want to do that 50 K and then next year be like, okay, I want to do you know something else, but I've been looking at longer timeframes and what is so infectious about looking at your journey is how deep you went and how far you went so fast. Also, even just like recently you saying basically like, you are now focused on becoming one of the best in the world and best in the sport. Right. And I've, I've like set goals to let me finish this thing. Let me get to the top of that mountain. I've never said like, I'm, I'm going to go out and be better than Jeremy Jones at snowboard mountaineering. Right. And you're setting that kind of intention. So that's what I want to know. Like what's going into your head when you go from zero to, to a thousand that fast with these kind of dreams. Yeah. And, and thank you for that, man. Uh, oh, Chris, are you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, before we get into the mental goal setting, I want to take it back to before Everyday Ultra. What what was, it was Everyday Something Else. Like, what were you doing before you were into this? <laughs> what was life like before you were even on this journey? Take us back to there first. A hundred percent. And, you know, it's funny you asked that question just because five years ago, if you told me what I'd be doing now, I would have thought you were absolutely insane. Like for a few reasons. Number one, I hated running. Number two, like I was just so out of shape, like unbelievably, just not a physically gifted kid, like always picked last in every single high school pickup game was always made fun of and all those kind of things. And all I played was golf. That was it. Uh, and then the third thing was, I just quite frankly, wouldn't have believed that I could have done it. Like to tell me five years ago that I'd be doing ultra triathlons and signing it for a hundred miles. I'd be like, no way I could have done that. Um, so it was a long journey. Like, like Jonathan mentioned before, it's all a progression. And the one thing, uh, I wish, I really want to like epitomize just in everything that I do in my whole life is that 
I wasn't born talented, wasn't born athletically gifted. I wasn't born these things. Like these are all things I had to build and really adapt to and kind of get to the place that I was at. And that's what I try to bring in into everything that I do. And so to answer your question of like where the whole thing started, honestly, like what I was doing before this was just not great. I was a huge partier, like went to Penn State for school, drinking almost every night in a fraternity. And uh, it, it led me down a pretty bad path. Uh, just to get like super raw and vulnerable, got me involved with some bad people, got me involved in drugs and eventually uh, ended up like really leaning on a pretty hard addiction to Adderall. And uh, at the time, my whole life was prioritized around like feeling good. And I just wanted to feel good. I wanted to go all those things and, and drugs and alcohol were the answer. But as I started to progress down to there, the more I tried to seek feeling good, the worse that I felt. Because deep down inside, I kind of knew that I was masking away all these insecurities and all this unhappiness in my life and just this emptiness that I was trying to fill with other things that were quite frankly, just making it a deeper emptiness. And long story short, it led me down a pretty bad path. Uh, I went out of college. I just had left my job on Wall Street because I was just not happy at all. And I remember I was living with my parents and I was in the floor of my bedroom, uh, my bedroom in my parents' house, just looking up at the ceiling and thinking, what the heck am I doing in my life? Like, I need to get some stuff together because I'm not heading down the right road. And people ask me, like, what caused that thought? Honestly, I wish I could tell you, but I think I was just tired of it. I was exhausted. I was exhausted of feeling exhausted. And I wanted to do something to get out of it. So one thing, uh, I, I picked up some books. Tony Robbins was a huge help for me uh, and other life coaches and all those things. And the big thing was getting healthy was kind of like the big, uh, the big commonality I saw. So at first I started doing yoga every day and then I started lifting some weights. And then I decided to sign up for a Spartan race. Like you said, Jonathan, a three mile Spartan race in Killington, Vermont. And uh, I was like, this is great. I got absolutely killed though in the race. Couldn't even walk the next day. I remember going into work. I was bartending at the time and I felt like I needed a wheelchair to to be behind the bar. It was crazy. But there was something rewarding about pushing myself and being so uncomfortable that awoke something inside of me. And that's when I realized one thing. I was like, I was optimizing my life to feeling good. How would I optimize my life to feeling bad? And not bad in the sense of like, oh, this is like, you know, my life is miserable but pushing myself and seeing what I can do. Uncomfortable. Like, yes. Yeah. So I was like, let me optimize my, my life for that. So I said, okay, the 5k Spartan race was hard. What about the 10k race? Great. Sign up for the 10k race. Did that. Then I was like, okay, what about the, the half marathon, the beast Sign up for the half marathon and did that. And then it just kept kind of spiraling out into bigger and bigger challenges to a marathon, then to a 50K and then to a 50 miler, and then eventually into the Ironman and the ultra tries and now the hundred milers and being the best in the sport. And it's always for me just, and, and listen, like they're great accomplishments and I love trail running and it's so amazing. What I really get out of it is I learned so much more as a person and I found through seeking the discomfort, I found the most fulfillment in my life. And that empty hole is now filled by the lessons I learn about myself, the growth that I achieve, and ultimately the lives that I inspire, like just so gratefully. And I've just had the privilege to, to, you know, uh, really just come across great people who've said, Hey, like I see your journey and it gives me hope. Like that to me has given me such purpose and it's behind everything I do. So kind of an abridged version, but I've optimized my life to, to be uncomfortable. And that's led to the most fulfillment in my life. All right. So 
if someone's listening to this and so if you're listening, you're in your car or you're going for a run or something, you're listening to this podcast and you just heard that 15 second segment where Joe's like, yeah, it was a 5k and then it was a 50 miler and now it's a hundred miler. It's kind of like when, when, it, whenever people are talking to me about like the business and you're like, oh yeah, it was like, we built a million dollar business and a $10 million. They're like, wait, 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 go back, <laughs> go back. Like you just skipped a ton of steps. So I want to really zoom in on you're you're running these Spartan races. You do the the um, you know the three k. You do the five k. You do the beast, which I understand because they're marketing that they want you to do mm-hmm. those races. So their customer retention is like, let's bring you back, but get all the medals, get the medals that fit <laughs> together in the little piece. And so I totally get that. But there was somewhere in there that you said, okay, I'm not just doing these couple races. I want to push myself way further beyond this. And so when did the goal line for you change from just like wanting to do a few of the Spartan races to wanting to really push yourself to bigger endurance races? Do you remember that moment or what was going on? Yeah, hundred percent. And that's a great question. So the moment I think it really unlocked in me was doing that first 10 K Spartan race. So I had just done the first five K one and, but, but going into it, I knew I was going to finish it. Like I was like, you know, I know I'm going to finish this. I'm pretty confident. It's going to be hard. Like, yes, my legs got wrecked, but I kind of like knew it was going to finish it. And that was great and everything. When I signed up for that 10 K Spartan race, I had literally, I was so scared that I wasn't going to finish it. Cause I was like, I barely even got through the 5k. Now I got to do double that distance. Add on to that literally days before the race, there's a news report on, and I'm sitting there with my family and we're watching the news report. And they're like, a nor'easter is coming through the New Jersey area this weekend. It's going to be, you know, uh, low of, tw- uh, low of 30 degrees, like freezing rain. It's going to be terrible. And I look at the dates and I see the race date just come up of like what the weather forecast is. And all I'm thinking is like, Oh God, this is not going to be good. I'm already freaking out about the race and I hate the cold weather and I hate being cold. And now I'm seeing this and I'm freaking out even more. Um, So I remember the night before the race, I was in bed, like just, I didn't sleep one thing because I was so scared. I was so scared that I wasn't going to finish this, that I was going to hurt, that I, I had almost no belief that I can do it. But then the next day the race came around. Sure. It was a war zone. Like people are coming out of like the race, like in blankets and shivering. And now I'm getting even more anxious, but I told the start line, like super nervous but I ended up crossing the finish line feeling like a new person. And the reason why I did that was I was, and I put two and two together at the end. I said, wait a second. I didn't think I could do that. And I did it. And that just made that experience so much more rewarding. So the next thing it was like, Hey, you know, now I'm going to sign up, not just for things that I think I know I can do. How about let's sign up for things that maybe I'm not sure that I can do because those are usually the most rewarding experiences because you unlock things that you didn't even think you knew about yourself. And now that's, you know, taken into my everyday life where it's like, for example, you know, uh, I had this new role here at Trainable where it was like partner manager. And if you look at my work history, it wasn't like that before. And I was like, oh man, like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know. It's like interesting, but you kind of just, when you have those other reference points of times when you've done things that you didn't think you could, it carries into the other challenges and the other opportunities. And you find out you're just way, way more capable than you ever thought you were. So that's where the ball bar really raised from there. 
I have. It's a good point. You you uh, said earlier when you were kind of introing Chris, like talking about, well, it's, you know, you think races are hard, like, you know, the businesses, building businesses is crazy hard. But I think what you just said right there is so true that like when you do the races, when you do the climbs and you do like whatever that physically hard thing is that you can accomplish, it fuels the rest and makes the business easier, makes the work easier. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a big difference between a, a lot of people finish those races, they get through the finish line and they're like, check that off the list. Never doing that again. Lucky like, list. Yep. like, wait, Done. yeah, proud of myself, but like what, never doing that again versus some people cross the finish line and they're like, I did that. What else can I do? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think is the difference in that, that mindset? Like what, what makes the make or break how you think about the finish line? Yeah. Another great question. And it really comes down to just one model I live by. And it's one that a lot of people do, but I'm, I'm telling you it's, it's cliche for a reason. Cause it's true. If you're not growing, you're dying fulfillment all in life. And you know, this is where I really learned it from my other podcast, the art of fulfillment. When I spoke to people like you, Jonathan, and other guests on the podcast, I found that a common denominator was that everybody was always growing and setting bigger goals and it never really got to a finish line, right? There was never no end point in their goals. They always had something to look for. So for me, I just know that if I just say, hey, I'm just going to do this 10K Spartan race and then that's great, I'm done, I'm going to get comfortable again. And as I said in the beginning of the story, I've learned that comfort's usually the enemy and it doesn't lead to fulfillment. It leads me to doing all these things that necessarily don't lead to a fulfilling life for me. So I just know that I always got to be pushing myself and always got to be finding ways to grow because like for me, it's never, this is the end point. Like it's always a journey. And some people always say all the time, it's like, well, if you're always chasing for more, like, are you never satisfied? Like, is that's not a great way to live. I say it's the best way to live if you approach it the right way, because some people will look at it and say, oh, I'm looking for the next thing and then I'll be happy. It's for me, I'm happy because I'm looking for the next thing. And that's the approach that I take. You know, one of the things I just thought of as you're both talking is, uh, Joe, I've heard you talk about having a race on the calendar. And Jonathan, you know, if, if you finish a race and there's nothing else on the calendar, then you leave yourself to think about what's next. Mm -hmm, And then that thinking about what's next could last for six months or 12 months or 10 years, and you may never do anything again. But if you always have something next on the calendar before you finish the current thing, then you don't have to ask yourself what's next. You're always just sort of on the journey to the next thing. I I used to talk about that with, with trips, with travel, right? There was just a period of time where I didn't allow myself to come back from a trip without having one or two things already after that uh, booked on the horizon. And that's the same thing with races. It's like when the pandemic hit and all the races I was signed up for, like went out the window, that was a real struggle for me. And I definitely got comfortable and fell off of my training schedule. And it was hard to get back into that. Um, And it took like putting four Spartan races in the Boston marathon and, Uh, and like a bunch of things in a short period of time to really like kickstart the engine again. Um, but that's, it's so true. If you, if you just have the one goalpost on the horizon, then you, you, you might step off the gas after you, you finish, right. Versus Mm -hmm. continuing to like keep striving for more. hundred percent. I want to pick up on something else you said too, because you talked about, uh, challenging yourself to do race, sign up for races that you weren't sure you could do like Mm -hmm. things you weren't sure you could finish and how that translated into jobs. 
I have a, a friend from high school that was messaging me about his career path and all the things I was suggesting, his, his reasoning was like, well, I can't do that because I don't have X, Y, and Z on the resume, or I can't do that because I don't have experience in doing that. And I was just thinking like, well, go YouTube, you know, 20 hours of videos. And like, now you're better than 95% of the people out there. But I, I think that that that's an attitude a lot of people don't have. And so when you're going through these hard times, per, you know, personally, and trying to make that shift, was it the Tony Robbins, you know, books or whatever you were reading? Like, what what made you want to challenge yourself to do things that were uncertain or unpredictable? Like, why was that okay? Yeah, that's that's a really really good question. I I think it comes similar to your answer before, or to to your mentioning the question is finding people who have done those things before, right? Uh, gives you not just as, I shouldn't say it gives you more certainty that you can do it, but it gives you a pathway, right? So for example, like for me, why Tony Robbins was such a big figure for me was I was, you know, again, sitting in the, in the floor of my, bat, of my uh, bedroom at home thinking, damn, I need to get myself out of it. This is bad. Meanwhile, I'm reading this book about Tony Robbins, how he's in his small little apartment in Venice, uh, no money in his bank account. His apartment's a crap hole. He's got you know, no friends. He's overweight and all those things. And just reading that part, I didn't even see how he did it. But reading that and knowing where he is now, like all of a sudden just created something in my brain was saying like, hey, if he could do that, man, I could shape myself to at least get myself to like baseline, right? So like if he's doing it, I can do it too. And that's like something that I try to do in my training and endurance. And want to always say is like, because I'm doing it, like you can do it too, right? Uh, I really inherently, and this is not like a self-confidence thing, but I truly believe there's nothing inherently special about me. The human element is being able to adapt and change. So in those moments of uncertainty, when I think I can't do it, when I think I can't do these things, I seek out the people who are doing it or who have learned and better yet, not the people who are doing it, but maybe the people who started in the same situation as I am and find out exactly what the heck they're doing. Because I believe that, you know, there's always a strategy to get to some places now with training, right? There's always the argument of like genetics and, you know, oh man, he's, he's athletically gifted, but I don't listen to any of that. I just say, Hey, if there's a way I might have to work harder, it might be a little bit more inconvenient for me but there's still a way. And I think when people kind of take the mindset of if other people can do it, I can too. It gives you much more confident to do the things that you're uncertain about because you know, you can learn, adapt and get better. So if you're uncertain about doing anything, find people who are successful. It's the same with my job as partner manager. I looked up successful partner managers. What are they doing? Going into different partner programs, finding out what they're doing, like learning, how did they scale? Like all these things, right? Because I said, if they're doing it, we can do it too. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of like my mantra of, of just doing anything I'm not sure I can do. It's part of why having a podcast is so great interviewing guests that have done those cool things, because I know all three of us have done that. And so all three of us have got exposure to people that seem to be ahead of us on the journey that we're on. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, aside from the podcast, do you have like formal mentors that you go to or people that you coaches that you use? How do you think about supplementing yourself with those types of people? Yeah, hundred percent. And no matter how much I consider if I, and I don't consider myself that now, but if I ever consider myself an expert, I will still have people who are smarter and better than me, like teaching me because there's always room to grow. So in my life for running, as you mentioned before, Jonathan, like one of my goals is to become one of the best in the sport. 
there's zero chance that I could become the best in the world with the knowledge and the skill set that I have now. So who do I hire as a coach? One of the best ultra runners in the world. So right now I'm working with Zach Bitter, who uh, he's once held the record for uh, fastest 100 mile time. He's just an incredible, extraordinary athlete. And he's my running coach going into the Zion 100, which will be my first 100 mile race. So I'm constantly trying to learn from him, having him tailor different things. And I'm asking questions and trying to get those things out. So he's a mentor that I have. I also have an injury coach, uh, Brody Sharp, who keeps me uh, on my feet and running because I don't know too much about injury. So I tap into him and I learn from him and all those things as well. And I also actually have a mindset coach too. I have a therapist who helps me look at all the blind spots in my mind, not just on the race or the course, but it's just in life in general. So for me, like no matter how much I learn about a subject, I will still surround myself with mentors and people. And even if they're not mentors and people, maybe you're listening, you can't afford a coach or you can't afford those things pick up a book, listen to a podcast. I call those indirect mentors, right? Like you can learn from some of the smartest people in the world with just your phone. And it's, uh, it's something I'm constantly doing. And whenever I don't have an answer, you always ask and, or look for someone else or hire someone. But I think in my running career specifically too, I'll never not have a coach. I will always have a coach because there's always more to learn no matter how good or knowledgeable you are. At least that's my philosophy, I think. I want to plus one that because I've had over the years, a ton of indirect mentors, you know, people who I've just listened to their podcasts and read all their books. And the funny part is I've now gotten to a place where I can afford their programs, their coaching, and I've bought into some of these programs for 10 or $20,000. And it's just the same stuff. Like I learned all this stuff five, 10 years ago for free that I'm now paying for and just kind of scratching my head. And so it feels almost like, you know, like I'm paying back the the advice I've gotten over the years, but you can learn so much for free. So I want people to make sure that the money is not an obstacle. Mm-hmm. That's no, a good so point. true. It's, it's the, the intention, the, the info is there. The, the, like the pathway is there, right? It just takes, if you want a different outcome in any aspect of your life, you can't keep doing the same things. You know, you have to form different habits, find new information, change something about the way you live your life. And if you expect to achieve a different outcome, but aren't willing to change anything you're doing today, then shut up and stop complaining because you're not going to move the needle on anything. Right. So, yeah. So Joe, I want to get into, into time a little bit because you're essentially working at least three jobs that I'm aware of. You've got your training old job. You've got like this whole podcast and, and running and maybe those are even two jobs on their own. Then you also have like a personal life and uh, you know, like, I don't know how much you talk about that on, on this show, but how do you set up your day to balance all these things, to make sure that you can get these things done to you know, dedicate as much energy and attention as you need to, to be world-class in all of these areas. How do you think about that? Yeah. And I love that you, you touched that one aspect is like world-class in all those areas. And, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm totally world-class in, in any of the areas that I'm doing for sure. But I think there's a difference between like managing your time where you're just checking the boxes and maintaining everything. And then there's also an aspect where, you know, you're doing everything really, really good. And, you know, if you're like an endurance athlete or a business leader, like, like, you know, like you two are, it's like, you never want to half-ass anything. You always want to do it right. Right. You don't want to check the boxes. So that's a really good a distinction you made there. And I think the way to do that is two ways. Number one, get hyper intentional with your calendar and scheduling. And so like for me, 
what I do pretty much every single day in the start of the week is I look, I take a list of like all the important things that I want to accomplish for the week. And usually that goes from looking at my high level goals. So uh, I start every single year defining like five high level goals that I really want to. I know we did a workshop session with you, Chris, and I have five more added on there too, which is great. But I take a look at those five different goals, right? For me, it's uh, win the Javelina 100 and become a great racer, uh, build an amazing running podcast that's in the top five, like three, like uh, grow uh, partner revenue to like three times, right? Like four is like, uh, you know, uh, like propose to my girlfriend and, you know, all those things as well. Uh, she doesn't listen to the podcast, so I don't know if she'll hear that or not. But, uh, <laughs> but anyways, I look at all those things and I say, okay, anything that doesn't fall into these things, like I'm not going to do. So you nix anything that kind of goes from there. And then you say, what can I do to make progress in all these areas throughout the week? Then I take a look at my calendar. I look at all my prior commitments, and then I block off time to dedicate to each of those goals um, well in advance. Because if it's not on the calendar, I really think it's not going to happen, right? People say, you know, what's the difference between someone says, hey, we should catch up sometime versus, hey, are you free for dinner next Friday? you're going to meet with that person next Friday, whereas before it's up in the air. It's the same thing with your goals. Are you going to, yeah, I'll do it sometime. Or are you going to do it tomorrow? Which one is that is? So the only way to do that is making the date in your calendar. So at the start of each week, I block off my calendar, make sure I hit those times. But it's not just showing up and doing it. It's making sure that you're doing a good job to, to add to that second part. So for me, I'm constantly gathering feedback from the people I'm working with, right? Like I'll, I'll get feedback from, from you two in terms of like, how am I doing here in work? Like, what can I be doing better? I'll ask my partner, like, what, what can I do to be a better boyfriend? What can I do to be a better partner? Or I'll ask my runner, I'll be like, hey, like or my, my coach, how are my stats looking? Like, am I doing great? Like all those things. I can always say that I'm doing great because I'm checking the box, but usually other people will tell you if you're doing it well or not. Um, so it's gathering that feedback and adapting where necessary, uh, I think is just a big, big component. So number one is scheduling. And then number two, taking in the feedback and adapting your time accordingly too, because you may be spilling too far in the running and sacrificing your relationship, which I've honestly and vulnerably been very, very uh, guilty of at times. But that's when I pair back the training a little, go a little bit more towards my relationship. And it's not just a time thing either. It's also, are you doing it up to the great quality? Like you can't sacrifice those things. So I can share firsthand one time when I was up North in uh, Flagstaff and you were up there for the weekend and we were oh, supposed yeah. to go on a run and you texted me like the day before and said, Oh, you know what? I like, I really shouldn't like, I've been training a lot and like, I need to spend the morning have breakfast with my girlfriend. And I appreciated that so much. I thought that that was like the coolest thing that you had the confidence to be able to rewire your schedule to accommodate for an area that was being depleted. You know, it was like, this is an area of my life that I can't just keep taking withdrawals from like, I, I need to actually spend some time over here. So I thought that was really cool. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, that was, uh, it, and, and that's always the hard things to do, right. Is, is just understanding like, and, and trust me, like I, I wanted to run with you. I was like, Oh, you know, running with the CEO of the company and I'm, I'm about to like turn him down. Like, but, but in the end of the day, it's, and I'm so grateful that you were understanding and, and so great about it. Uh, it, it's just having that like check to yourself is like, what's really important. And like, uh, where can I be better and, and being flexible with it too. So, you know, having the schedule is great, but you also got to be flexible to, to accommodate with the needs too, as well. So I appreciate you bringing up that example. Joe, that reminds me, I've heard you say uh, a quote that if it's running a thousand miles in the wrong direction, 
action is better than standing still, right? Mm -hmm. Which has um, has also, it made me think of the quote for, I don't know if you've seen the movie 180 Degrees South, um, mm -hmm. but Yvonne Chouinard, Doug Tompkins, these are the Patagonia North Face guys. I forget which one of them said it, but one of them is like, um, the, the you know, when you talk about progress in the world, everybody thinks you can't go back, but what happens if you're standing on a cliff? Do you take one step forward or do you take turn 180 degrees and take one step forward? Which way is progress? Which way do the, does the world need to go? And mm -hmm. so that's, that's also like what I thought of with, with your, your quote. And I'm just curious where, where does that like fit into your life? Where have you run a thousand miles in the wrong direction and felt like you, it was the right thing to do? Yeah. Uh, triathlon is, is definitely the answer for that. Uh, I would say that for sure. Uh, I'll, I'll give like one example in training and then one example in personal life triathlon for sure in my training. So I ran 1000 miles, almost literally in the wrong direction for that by doing, uh, iron, like I did two Ironmans, Ultraman and, uh, uh, the, the Ironman 70.3 sponsored by Trainual, uh, all within one year. And I spent so much time on the bike and the pool and running on the road. And, uh, I mean, that's a lot to do like for just, you know, a beginner. I had never done a triathlon before I did my first Ironman, but I went like full into there, like a thousand miles, like literally a thousand miles that you said, and, and just went all into it. But I found out like when I was doing those things, I was not feeling fulfilled in the journey. I didn't like biking. Uh, I didn't like being in the pool swimming. And quite frankly, like I didn't really like being on the road running. I missed the trails. Like I missed being out there in nature. I missed the ultra running community. I was like, oh, I miss that so much. But I was already signed up for these races. And I was like, oh gosh, like this is, this is crazy. Um, but it was necessary. Like people are saying, oh, would you regret doing those things? Absolutely not. Because I learned that I didn't like triathlon. If I didn't dive myself into it and go a thousand miles in the direction, like I wouldn't have known that, which is so valuable because now I know for the rest of remainder of hopefully my long life, I know that I don't like it and I can focus on the things I do like, but I also got to have amazing memories and wins and great stuff along the way. So that one for sure, triathlon. And the second thing was uh, finance. So I'm in marketing right now. I used to work on Wall Street. I actually got past level one and two of my CFA, which if you're familiar with the CFA exams, like tons of studying, like God, even more than college, like crazy amount of hours and time. And I put all this money and put all this time into it. And then I said, nope, I don't want to do finance anymore. And my parents like, what? Like, oh my God. You know, and everyone was like, what are you doing? But I also say, yeah, I ran a thousand miles in the wrong direction, but I learned that I didn't like finance and you can, you can always go back. And that's a valuable thing to me. And I wouldn't trade, trade those money or experiences. Cause now I know like everyone's afraid of making the wrong decision, right? Like, I don't want to start because I want to make the wrong decision. How do you know it's the wrong decision? How do you know you don't like it? How do you know those things, right? Find out first and knowing that you don't like something or you didn't enjoy something is almost as useful as you did. Cause again, you're not going to repeat those same things. And if you stay still to the point on that quote before, you're never going to know what you like, what you don't like. And like, it sounds harsh, but you almost like waste your life that way. Cause you're like, just not doing anything. Afraid I think people over agonize yeah. about getting out of bad decisions. You know, it's like, it's, it's not that easy. It's not that hard. You know, if you join a job and you don't like it, you can leave, <laughs> you find a new job. If you, if you start a sport and you don't like it, 
start a new sport. Like, I, but, but I love that you don't, you don't get paralyzed by the, the indecision. Uh, and, and also I should say for everyone listening, even though you don't like biking and swimming, like if someone looked at your swim times versus mine, they'd think you had a submarine, like you're, <laughs> you are so, so good. So not liking something does not mean you're not good at it. Cause you're really good at all those things. And you still were able to pick something that, that you're passionate about. So I love that. I appreciate it. Probably not as good as biking. I definitely, uh, never, never got the hang of that. And, uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, you, you, just some people, sometimes people will stay with things because they're good at it, but it's like, do you really like it? And that's, that's the important part. And that's why I even say with endurance sports, people are like, should I do triathlon? Should I do trail running? And it's like, it's not, what are you good at? It's what do you like? Like optimize what you like over what you're good at. And you're going to find that you'll probably have a better chance of getting good at the thing that you like than making any gains in the thing that you don't like, even if you're already great at it. So part of making gains in the things that you like and focusing on performance is making sure you're fueling yourself appropriately. And I know you get a ton of questions online about nutrition and fuel. So can you just share like what, what do you have any pre-race rituals that you want to share? And then maybe we'll go back into like when you're training, how you treat this. Yeah. So pre-race almost every single race and quite frankly, every single long training run, I devour a whole pizza to myself, like for sure. (laughs) And uh, what what kind of pizza, what kind of pizza? So usually just for convenience sake, like I'll have like a, we go to Costco and we get the huge, big, uh, frozen pizzas. So it comes with like four in a pack and I'll just like put in a Costco frozen pizza the night before and eat the entire thing myself. And, uh, usually just, I like the plain cheese. My girlfriend likes the pepperoni. So we get the pepperoni, but, uh, <laughs> but in the end of the day, it's, that's, the, that's the night before meal. Uh, when you said pre-race, I was thinking like, uh, that you, you eat bagels, oh. right? Yeah. Bagels before the race. Yeah. So, but I, but I got to mention the pizza cause I really think it's a big part of my success yeah. too. Well, so, and it's a Costco pizza, which I think is an important detail. Like a lot of people in their heads would think, okay, a little tiny pizza. No, you're eating like the super sized warehouse pizza. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. You, you got to go big. Yeah. I, I get most of my grocery bills at Costco or grocery stuff at Costco because, uh, <laughs> need to keep fueling, but right before a race too, uh, I usually like to keep it on the lighter side. Uh, I know pizza is like heavy, but it's digesting. It's, I give myself some time, but, uh, I always like to put a good combination between carbs and fats. A lot of people think, what about protein? No, don't even, don't even think about protein because it's not a source of fuel for your body. Long story short, like your body's going to be burning carbohydrates. Um, it's going to fuel your muscles with glycogen, which is essentially think about the energy reserves in your muscles to keep powering forward. And the way to fill that up is through carbohydrates. So I tend to usually get around 50 to 60 carbs before race, which is usually fueled by a bagel, as you mentioned, Jonathan. And then on the top of that bagel, I'll either put cream cheese or butter, depending on what I have in the fridge. Um, but that gives me the source of fat because in endurance events, you're going to want to go slower. And when you go slower, you tap into the fat reserves and that's going to keep you from going very long, not bonking out. And you're going to have those, uh, that ability to train your body to burn those things. So bagels usually my go-to and, uh, yeah, it hasn't, hasn't failed me since, which is great. And then during a race, are there any snacks that you just like, are, are you feeling every like half hour? Are you drinking the whole time? I mean, be, any, any tips for 
a beginner marathon person like me? Yeah. So the, the number one tip that I always say is everybody's stomach is different and, uh, your body's always going to respond to things way better than other people. It's going to respond worse than other people. So it's always a trial and error thing. So I always say the caveat of like, what I do might not work for you, but for me through my long trial and error things, cliff bars are always my go-to. So I usually have one cliff bar every single hour, gives me 250 calories with like 50 grams of carbs, some fats in there as well. And, uh, they taste good. Like you also want to have something that tastes good. That's why I like those gels to me. Like I remember my friend, I, I forgot my nutrition. He's like, Oh, I got this gel. And like, we were running and it was like an hour in. I put it down and I was like, Oh, like I just, I just hated it. And it's just like, there's <laughs> nothing you want less than something that tastes bad when you're out there running. So cliff bars are usually my go-to. And then usually like late in the race, I love going with like potato chips or pretzels, uh, just because they're salty and salt is really good for keeping your electrolytes in check for sure. So, uh, that, that's it. That's the, the well-balanced diet. So, during the Ironman, someone handed me a bag of like Lay's potato chips late in the race. And I was like, what's wrong with you? What, what, <laughs> like this, what are you doing? So now I know there's like some science. Behind oh, that. It's great. My, my first <laughs> marathon ever was fueled on potato chips, cookies, nutter butters, and Gatorade. So good. Um, I, I've, I've since leaned into more of the cliff bars and the shop blocks, just, just, just like you. I think that's, that's been my most sustainable fuel. But Chris, when you do the Boston marathon, you will um, watch out for just everybody on the sidelines, right? You got the entire city stands on the sidelines of that race and cheers you on. And they're all there handing stuff out. And one of the things that I loved the most was the little sliced oranges. I'd just grab oranges and just like drink those, uh, or eat those slash drink them along the way. I saw somebody with a popsicle. And then for the next 18 miles, I was so mad. I didn't take the popsicle. <laughs> it sounds like trick or treating, just like taking <laughs> stuff from strangers as you go. Is that that's okay? That's advisable, Joe. It's it's advisable. I think it's advisable when you're out there for sure, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. All right. So as we start to round this out, I want to talk a little bit more about like long term motivation because to have a race on the calendar after your next race, after your next race and be thinking long-term and be as goal or oriented as you, you have to have something that's really powering you. And so let's get to the, the essence of like, what's motivating you long-term. Yeah. So, so in terms of like specifics with racing, it's, it's funny because my big, my big goal for this year is winning or coming in the top two with a Havelina hundred, preferably to win, but I want to come in the top two long story short. Uh, the reason for that is twofold. The first one logistically is that Western States 100, which is like the Disneyland of trail races. It's almost impossible to get in through a lottery. Like it's just statistically you got a long shot but you can get in by winning these golden ticket races or coming in the top two. And so Havelina is one of those races where if you come in the top two, you get automatic entry into Western States. That's like a big goal long-term for me. I want to do that. So that's why I want to win it. But secondly, again, going back to the point, like I don't like I, I, to my core, I believe that I can become one of the best, but it scares me. Like I'm scared. Like I'm like, Holy crap, this is going to be a lot of work. It's going to be tough, but I love that. And so uh, it's like another way to just push myself and kind of go out of my comfort zone. So, uh, that's the big thing in the head is I want to come top two in Havelina and, uh, it's going to be so hard. Like the, the race is going to be stacked. Like there's going to be elite runners out there who've been doing this way longer and are way better runners than me, but I know that I'll get there and it might not be this year, but it, it, it will be sometime in the future. And I always say, it's like, people are like, Oh, like that's a big goal, like blah, blah, blah. And I always say, you know what? Like, I don't get too detached to the goal where it's like, if I miss this, then I failed. 
it's like, if I miss this, then I learned and I'm just going to give another go at it. Um, but at the same time, I also have that conviction behind me of like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Um, and so that's a whole nother balancing act, but my motivation throughout this entire thing to really encapsulate it all is it's not just to win the race or get into Western States or be one of the best ultra runners. It's the story that I want to create to inspire people again, like going back to my very beginnings, like I was very unathletic, very miserable, addicted on drugs, total mess, like a bum, as I like to say in my eyes. And I want to show people it's like, if I can become like an elite ultra runner through that, whatever you're going through, I promise you, you can get through that. And I kind of want to show people through that, through my journey. And that's what motivates me throughout the entire time uh, in everything I do. And if I feel like giving up, I always think what example I want to set. Like if, if I feel like it's too hard, I'm like, what example do I want to set? That's a big motivator too. And then on the side, I have to, I have to say this is too, just because it means so much is I'm also raising money along the ways for, uh, kids who are diagnosed with cancer as well. Um, just to, just to give a little back again, to, to start in the beginning of the conversation, what I do is not anywhere close to as hard as what those kids are going through. So, uh, another thing I'm doing as well. I love that you're doing that. You know, when, when I ran my first half marathon, which at the time was the longest thing I had ever run, uh, I, I knew I was coming into that final mile or the final like portion of a mile. And so I took out my phone and I started recording a video to my kids, like, telling them, you know, like about doing hard things. And like my kids were, you know, babies at the time. And to, but to your point about like, you want to create a story that you can be proud of, that you can share a legacy. And I think, I think in some way, that's what, what motivates a lot of us to achieve Mm. success is like that, that whatever we do, whether it's good or bad creates a story and we get to write that story. And so it's, you know, it's, it's inspiring to watch you author every chapter and, in, in a, you know, take these cool turns. W- one little distinction when it comes to goal setting, you've mentioned it throughout here, but sometimes the goal is to finish. And sometimes the goal is to get a certain time or to get a certain place, you know, are you going to finish? Or are you going to win ish or, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever the goal, uh, when is, when is the time and this is different for every person, but when do you think about pushing yourself to a longer distance, something you're not sure you can do versus pushing yourself up the leaderboard as something at the, at the same race over and over again? Do you think about that? hundred percent. It's a great question. And I always say like, what's important to you as a person, right? Because, and I always get, like, I remember in the beginning when I first started this, it was just completing races and logging miles. And people would ask me, well, what's your goal time? And I was like, I don't have a goal time. I'm just trying to finish. Like that, that's my goal. Like my, what's important to me is finishing. And as I kind of went through my ultra career, what became more important to me was like being one of the best in the sports. Um, and the reason why was just because I, you know, I, I see that as a new avenue to push myself. Like, cause I know I can complete hundred mile races. Like I know, like those things don't scare me, but like being the best in the world, like that scares me. Like that, that's like, to me is like so far reaching. And so for some people that might be the hundred mile race, just finishing it. Like that might be the scary thing for them. Whereas, you know, coming first in a marathon might be easy to them. Right. So it's all about two things. Number one, what's important to you, but number two, it's like, I always lean towards the thing that scares you the most. And so for me, like running a hundred mile race, like even like my first hundred mile race, like people are like, Oh, are you scared? You're not going to finish. It's like, no, I, I know I'm going to finish that, but do I know that I'm going to come in top three? I don't know. Well, let's find out. So uh, it's definitely a balance between what you like and what scares you 
is what I think will lead to the most optimal goal to chase after, uh, I think for not just racing, but life in general. So as we're fading to the outro here, we got to play the into the unknown song from frozen, which all all my parents (laughs) out there will know. It's (laughs) so good. I love that movie. That movie's excellent. Do you go to the, uh, do the Barkley marathons scare you? Oh, terrify me. Does an FKT on uh, the Adirondack or PCT scare you? Like, are those things in that level for you? 100%. Yeah. Like, Barkley marathons, it's, it's funny because for years, like, people are like, would you do Barkley? I said, no, I don't think that would be fun to me. And then I kind of like came to my senses. I was like, wait, if you don't think it would be fun to you, like, you know, uh, like, why not go for it? Like, it's like, and, and I don't mean fun as like, as like, as we talk about type one, type two, type three fun, I would, I don't know. Like, I, I want to do Barkley just cause I'm, I would be so scared of that. Like, so, so scared of that. Um, and I think it would just be interesting. And then same with the Appalachian trail. I know I can run the whole thing. FKT. I don't know. Like, l- let's, let's find out. So t- <laughs> well, maybe that'll be one sure. of your future goals. Let's, uh, we, we got to wrap it up here, but I've got one more question for you. And that is, is there anything else you think your audience should know about you as they head into the next dozen, hundred, whatever episodes that you're going to have on this show? What should people know about you? Yeah. Uh, thank you for asking that. And thank you again for, for your time here. It's been amazing. And I, I just think the long story short is like, Hey, I wasn't, wasn't born this person that you, you saw here today. I was someone who I created through hard work and a lot of failure and a lot of falling on my face, both literally and figuratively, and, uh, just a lot of lessons along the way. So if you have an endurance goal or a goal in your life, whether it's personally, professionally, anything like that, and, and you don't think you can get there, um, I just hope to be the example that it's like, you can always craft yourself to who you want to be. Um, not promising it's easy. I'm just saying it's possible. And honestly, that, that should be enough. So, um, yeah, the one thing is I'm, I had to make this person here and, uh, you can make whatever person you want to be as well. Uh, if you're willing to do the work. All right. Well, now everyone listening knows that the star behind the, the episodes, e- even though you're usually the one asking the questions, you've got a lot of, uh, of insights and really appreciate you sharing those with us today. Oh, thank you. Great, and and great yeah, great talking with you too. Thank you for the opportunity. And everyone listening to check out Chris, check out Jonathan. I'll drop their social handles and their content in the, uh, in the, uh, in the episode notes too. They've got some great stuff out there. It's too, uh, definitely better interviewers than I am. So, uh, it, it is an absolute pleasure guys. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the everyday ultra podcast. Appreciate you listening in. And if you have any topics or guests or suggestions for the show, I would love to hear that because I want to make sure this show is so valuable to you that I'm able to provide all the things that you're looking for to become a better endurance athlete every day. So if you have those things, feel free to send them over to me on Instagram at Joe Corsione. That is my handle, J-O-E-C-O-R-C-I-O-N-E. And I'll be more than happy to fit it into the show, reach out to the guests that you're looking for, and ultimately give the value that you're looking for. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Uh, Would love to get more ultra runners and uh, people in the ultra endurance community listening to this podcast because the more this podcast grows, the better we're able to serve you as well. And so thank you so, so much again for listening in. I tell you, I do not take it lightly. And remember my friends, become a better endurance athlete every single day. Take care.